0: Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our June UX event, where you'll hear from Dave Rackham. Dave is currently the Head of Technology Leader Experience at Pluralsight. Individual product management or product design contributors have closest proximity to customers, Come learn how to use that proximity to shape your company's strategy by layering customer journeys and market ecosystems and predicting the specific challenges your CEO is facing based on the stage of your company. A big thanks to Jane for hosting this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX, product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find more information about ProductHive at ProductHive.org. So now, let's hear Dave's talk. Shaping your company strategy, especially as an individual contributor.
1: Raise your hands if after talking with customers or doing some analysis, it's just become really evident to you that like, your company just needs to make a change. Does that happen to anybody? Okay, raise your hand if, as that's become evident, you've tried to get senior leadership on board and like, they, just, they don't see it the same way, they don't get it, they don't understand it. Who, who's, who's had that experience? Does it, does it feel a little bit like this? <laughs> so I've been there a lot, uh, and over the last eight years across three different companies, I, I've come across some ways that I think help crack the code in terms of being able to specifically help your senior leadership team understand what it is that you're seeing from your customers and really be empowering in terms of how you as an individual contributor can shape the direction of your company's strategy. My my whole purpose here today is to try to give you a couple of tactical ideas and talk through a couple of examples uh, from my personal experience. My hope is that you'll try the ideas on for size, and like, if they're not going to work for you, great. Uh, but I hope that they'll at least be useful in helping generate some ideas of some different approaches that you can do uh, in terms of being able to create that influence. So, for me at least, cracking the code of being able to shape company strategy as an individual contributor has three specific pieces. The first is being able to start moving beyond individual customer insights, and start mapping that to the broader market dynamics that are occurring. And I'll I'll go into a lot of detail about that one. The second is mastering puck physics, which as you could guess is just a play on the the old adage of move to where the puck is gonna be rather than where the puck is today and being able to really get a sense of what controls the dynamic of where that puck is gonna be and how are you gonna recognize how to get there uh, before maybe the rest of the company has. And then number three, is this idea of how do you move your leadership team from their current worldview, their point A, to where you want them to be and where you're trying to help them understand your point B. And I'll be giving you some real tactical ways that you can do that and influence that. But uh, to really get going here, I wanna talk about an example from the company that I was at prior to Pluralsight, which was an EdTech company named GoReact. You may never have heard of them, but they're an EdTech company based in Orem. Uh, what GoReact does is creates this really amazing video feedback platform. And it's sold directly to educators, and what it does is primarily helps students develop public speaking skills, and as well as being utilized in the American Sign Language kind of marketing community. So anything that's really video heavy based, being able to provide feedback. Uh, So things like this presentation could be recorded and streamed live, and you in the audience could be marking every time I say the word um. You could be indicating what kinds of things might be an improvement. So that's what GoReact does, and what happened was uh, there was this opportunity that we were sensing around being able to make a big strategic shift in how we thought about new semester cycles. And so I'm going to kind of jump to the end, but then walk you through kind of the play by play of how this went. But the end result was we introduced these new onboarding webinars at the beginning of each semester that had a real dramatic impact on our company. It dramatically increased the satisfaction of our major audience base with these teachers, and it had a huge impact on our customer support team in terms of reducing the overall support that they had to provide early in the semester. Now, this change feels really self-evident at the end of the journey, but it wasn't something that was clear to the company at the time. So I'm gonna talk you through the ways in which we were able to and I was able to help guide and influence as an individual product manager at the time the a very strategic uh, move for the company given the scale and size of the company. So to do that though I wanna step back and kind of talk about uh, photography here for a moment. So for many of us today, photography is really just about the things that we do on our phone but there's kind of a really interesting application that comes out of it that becomes more apparent when we start thinking about more advanced cameras like single lens reflex cameras that have interchangeable lenses. And what occurs is over here on the left hand side of this image, there's by physics a point at which what is actually being captured on the image can be in focus or not. And that's governed by a couple of different properties. So when you look at this image right here, There's The reason why this part of the image is in focus versus the back half of it is what's called depth of field. And the amount of an image that can be in focus is what that depth of field uh, is really capturing there. So as you look at shifting the plane of that focus point and you move it, it, this is the same subject, it's the same camera, but they've adjusted some of the ways in which the image is being focused and moving that and that's what enables different aspects of this image to become in focus from the front to the back. But like that's not necessarily a super useful or interesting picture, any one of these individually. So what becomes really fascinating is there's a technique called uh, focus stacking, where what you do is you take individual photographs that have different parts of that depth of field that have been brought into focus specifically and then collapse all of them together to be able to have an image where the entire portion of the image from foreground to background is able to be in focus at the same time. So what I've experienced as an individual contributor across a number of different companies is oftentimes as we're interacting with customers, as we're doing prototype testing, as we're doing you know, ethnographic observations, contextual inquiry, we begin to get these like really rich insights but sometimes those rich insights only live at like one narrow slice of what's going on, and the goal is to be able to collapse everything that we're learning into one coherent picture because that's what empowers you as individual contributors to really shape the strategy of your company. So the way that I found success in doing that at least, and again, this is just a try it on for size, and if it's helpful for you, awesome, if not, I hope it's gonna spark some ideas for you, is really kind of leveraging three distinct types of tools. So many of you are probably familiar with journey maps. Uh, You probably have also done some flavor of what I call experience maps, and we'll go into detail here, where it's like, what is the existing experience in your product? Uh, And then the final is an ecosystem map. And so I found that when you layer all three of those types of artifacts together, that what that creates is this holistic image that's been brought into focus that drives a lot of clarity for you as a company. So this is an example of a journey map from some work that we did at Pluralsight uh, probably about two years ago. Uh, There's a lot of different flavors of journey maps, but at the high level, what I wanna draw your attention to is they're really representations of different stages that occur within your customers, but not not necessarily while using your product. So this is the what is the experience of your users, your customers, completely independent of whether or not you have a solution as a company that can influence that. And what are they thinking, feeling, and doing as they move through these different stages? And so what this helps you get a sense of is kind of that overall perspective of what's going on in your customer's journey. And then when you layer that with what I call experience maps, which are a double click into like a specific area of that journey, and what are you doing within your product and company to like really service that opportunity, when you start to layer those together, you get more of the holistic image and focus, which provides a ton of clarity. But ultimately, that's not really sufficient in terms of being able to bring it all together. And to highlight that point, I want to talk about something that you've probably never heard of, which is the Sony e-reader. So has anybody ever seen this or remember it? Like a couple of very tentative hands here. And that's because the product sucked. <laughs> uh, the, the actual like, hardware itself was really amazing and cutting edge. It was the first product to come to market with an e-ink display, and it was an e-book reader. And at the time, it was really revolutionary technology. But as you decompose what occurred in the ecosystem, you've got Sony who put together, based on things like an e-ink screen, other components, and they pioneered some DRM technology and packaged all of that up into an e-reader. What Sony did is they began to sell the e-reader through normal distribution chains, you know, think of a Best Buy, think of other things at the time, a Fry's Electronics. And that would then uh, ultimately be how they got that device directly to their customers. Well, what occurred is the Sony e-reader in of itself is entirely useless without content. So Sony worked hard to convince authors and publishers to provide eBooks through a website that they developed called sonyconnect.com. But the colors on here are really critical. So any of these boxes in green represent things where the customer cost is lower than the value received or the participant in this ecosystem, not necessarily the customer. So as you come down to authors, you know at the time, eBooks weren't a thing. They didn't really know what it would do to their traditional hardcover softback books, but ultimately they were able to kind of get on board with the idea that you know, they would be able to expand their market size, sell a new type of book that they hadn't done before, but the publishers are red over here because ultimately, like they had real massive concerns above and beyond what the authors did relative to their ability to maintain profit margins, to be able to set up distribution the way that they thought it should be. And so the publishers were just basically a no go. Despite the fact that Sony had really created this great product and that the authors were on board, this SonyConnect.com solution really wasn't great because it didn't have enough content and ultimately the users had to connect the Sony e-reader through a USB cable to their computer. The product never enjoyed any success relative to what it could have given the engineering and all of the wonderful design that had gone into it. What gets interesting though is when you compare this to something that you might have heard of, which is a Kindle, so this is the first version of the Kindle. Uh, given the fact that this is a design community, at least for me, like the, the Sony product, I think, is much stronger from a design perspective. It, it just feels like it was more thoughtful. You've got Amazon in their normal like does the job pretty well, but you kind of like hate using it along the way. I, I don't know if that's how you experience Amazon. I'm like, yeah, Amazon's by far the best shopping experience, but man, it's like really ugly, and I don't know why they can't just make it better. But ultimately, this product, despite those shortcomings, was much more successful because so our Amazon did a much better job of thinking through the ecosystem. What, what they did to get these publishers on board is they actually went ahead and said, publishers, we are going to purchase the books from you at the 29 hardcover book price. So, you're worried that you're going to get your margins eroded via these products or via this new ebook offering. Don't worry, we're going to pay you the same amount. We're absorbing all of the risk. So, what that enabled Amazon to do was they actually sold in the early days all of these ebooks at a loss in order to really kickstart this market. And what this did, too, in the combination of some new technology that enabled the ebooks to be delivered directly to the Kindle, was an experience that was much more holistic and dynamic. And so this is why when you understand what is going on for your customers, what is their journey, how do you currently sit within that experience and then how does that play into the surrounding ecosystem, that's really those individual composite images that you can layer and stack together that gives you the full clarity of what's going on to enable you to speak powerfully to those direct insights that you get from your customers. But what I found though is that still ends up becoming challenging. Coming back to this example, where what we really found was in talking with these uh, customers, the journey for them was, Hey Dave, you know, I set up all of these classes and courses in Go Reacts platform, but I only do it maybe once every six months. And if I only teach the class once a year, I only do it once every 12 months. So I actually forget how to go do all of this really critical setup work because I don't do it very often. So that's what was going on in terms of the customer's journey is the journey for them was I only teach these classes sporadically, there can be long gaps of time between when I do, and the product itself, although it was relatively intuitive to use, didn't really have the ability to to help navigate the fact that this wasn't something they were doing all the time. What was going on in the market more broadly for these instructors was there was a lot of other education vendors, whether they were EdTech vendors or just kind of more traditional education vendors that had these really robust motions around new semester onboarding. So they would do webinars, they would send representatives, they would do all kinds of things that would be helpful in getting these teachers across the finish line in all of this administrative work in the early stages of a new semester. So you combine all of those things together, and what occurred was we recognized, and I was able to really recommend and make a shift in the strategic direction of the company in these early stages, that we needed to have these new webinars at the beginning of each semester that would help remind teachers how to go through this work, that would really give them the confidence the solution was going to be successful, and that was being delivered in a way that matched the rest of the ecosystem that they lived within. So that's why it's so critical to be able to actually take your individual customer's insights, which might be something like, hey, instructors are having a hard time setting up these classes, layering that together with how your product is serving that and then what is kind of the broader market dynamics that's shaping your customer's journey and experience. And so layering all of those pieces together is again what builds that coherent and clear picture which gives you voice in a really powerful way. So where, for me at least, this gets interesting though, is if you develop that capability of being able to specifically bring all of those pieces together, you can marry that with one additional capability that you can develop, which is getting a really strong sense around where is your company moving. So I wanna talk about a couple of ways that will help you get a sense of what that looks like. The first is, what is the stage of your company? So raise of hands, like right now without looking at anything, do you have a clear sense of like what, what stage is your company in? Okay, couple of hands. So this is things like are you a private versus public company? If you're, if you're private, are you a startup? Have you raised a series A, is it a series B? Uh, you know, All of these kinds of different things. What's the current you know, revenue that's occurring for your company? You've gotta really have dialed and understand what the specific stage that your company is in because that has a huge influence in the type of problem that you're gonna be addressing, the types of solutions that are relevant given the size and stage of your company, and that's really the foundation of what's gonna give you an ability to predict where your company's going so that you know how to marry all of those wonderful customer insights that you're getting. The second is, like, who owns or who's invested in the company? Okay, so for those of you that work in privately held companies, like, do you know who the investors or owners of your companies are today? Raise your hand. Okay, so some hands. Uh, if you know who the investors are, do you know what type of investor they are? Are they a VC? Uh, do, are they a growth equity firm? Is it a private equity firm? Do you know the model that your investment firm is looking for? Like what is the successful outcome for your investors look like? Is that a you know, 10X outcome above and beyond what they invested in the last series B? all of those dynamics start to really help you get a sense and a picture of where your company's leadership is oriented and thinking about. Because what's happening is dependent on the stage that you're in and your investor's profile, you've gotta really get a sense of what are those next milestones that your company's trying to hit. And a lot of this, like, it's probably pretty uncommon, I would guess, for leadership in your company to kind of like sit down and say, hey everybody, Here's the stage that we're in. Here's who's invested in us. Here's what they care about. Here's what successful outcomes look like for them. And here's the next milestone that we're hoping that we're hit, that we're gonna hit. Like, does anybody have that experience? I like you get snippets of it. I never got that full story. So I used things like Crunchbase to go figure out like, hey, you know, as, as I'm moving to this company or thinking about this company, where are we currently? Like, what is the investment that's occurred? Who owns the company? Uh, I use things like once I figured out who the investors are, all of these investors love to brag about the companies they've invested in, okay? So go find their, their peer group of investments and go figure out what stage are they in. Are they, is there a company that your investors invested in as a Series B when they invested in you as a Series A and that Series B company is the next stage? Like you get all of these really interesting insights into the types of things that your investors are probably talking about with your senior leadership team. Because what's happening, it's all pattern matching for them. It's hey, company A over here did something pretty interesting that we invested in, and it seems to have worked, so like you guys should go do the same thing. And you know, for many of us, because we operate within tech companies, uh, there's a huge tendency for tech companies to be really public about these kinds of things. They blog about them. So if you can go find a company that's a stage or two ahead of you that your investors of your company have invested in, and they're talking about the things that they tried and learned from, you can probably bet that at some point over the next few months, some senior leader in your team's gonna to come to you and say, hey, we really should go try to do this thing. And you're like, ah, yeah, you're, you're talking about this thing because that's what the other company did, okay? And it's the same thing with the milestones. So this is really kind of what gives you that rounded out perspective and picture of enabling you to not just try to guess where that puck is moving to for you as a company, but get really, really clear around what that most likely is. So for me, uh, this scenario played out with Pluralsight uh, prior to the role that I'm in right now. Uh, uh, Probably about 18 months ago, I started going through this exact same exercise, and I recognized that Pluralsight pre-IPO, the next milestone, it was super evident that we were gonna go ahead and move to a uh, public company at some point in the future, or that that was at least the intention. And at the time, we had one product at Pluralsight. While we sold that product in a number of different ways, we priced and packaged it in in really helpful ways for our customers, but we really only had one core product. Looking at a bunch of our peer companies and companies that were a few stages beyond, uh, it was very clear that all of them had moved towards having multiple product offerings. And so as I was doing some kind of low-level discovery work as an individual contributor, it became really clear that some of the things that we were observing and really being able to detect from our customers would be perfect as additional product offerings. And so as I started taking those observations, I was actually packaging them up into this broader narrative around how this could help enable Pluracyte to become a multi-product company. And, And thankfully, I was actually pretty accurate in terms of where we were trying to go as a company. And so that message landed really powerfully with the leadership team. Uh, Ultimately, what that creates for you as individual contributors is massive trust. If you go in and you talk to a senior leader and you say, hey, here's this customer observation that I have, here's why I think it matters, and I can tell you the whole story from journey to what we do today to ecosystem, and I think it matters because is this the type of opportunity that our company is really investing in and is focused on? And the moment that your leader hears that from you, it's like, boom. It's like all of a sudden they're just like, yes, this person gets it. They're thinking about problems that I haven't even had time to articulate or that aren't really present for me. And you move from a position of trying to like talk about how hard to use the new course setup feature is within your platform, for my example in Go React, to being in a place where you're actually influencing and shaping their most broad level dynamic because you've zoomed all the way up and out to what does the company care about. And that trust bit by bit, even if you don't get it exactly right, what that's gonna to show to all of your leadership team is you're not thinking about little solutions that can make improvements. You're tying those individual ideas into things that can be highly influential and drive significant value for your company. And I can promise you that is the fastest way to gain trust and influence with your leadership team is to just even show them that you're focused on those type of opportunities. Even if you're not exactly right, Because all of a sudden you're having a conversation of, hey, do we care about this type of opportunity as a company? Are we trying to become a multi-product company or are we not? And you get all of that feedback and that just continues to form these feedback loops that enable you to know where you're trying to go move and help you begin to really influence and shape that direction. But again, this kind of all builds upon itself. Like you've gotta be able to get that holistic view across all of those different layers and begin thinking about where your company's trying to move or your organization. But that's not gonna matter if you can't actually move your leadership from where their brains are today to where you hope that they'll be that point A and that point B. So the way that I think about this is it it all really matters and hinges on your ability to make a very clear diagnosis which is what does my leadership team care about? What are they thinking? What, what, where do I think they're gonna go? You've gotta get really clear on what you think that is and get crystal and tight on that diagnosis. Otherwise, you're trying to move them to some place without any understanding of where they are and you're not gonna be able to evaluate what the most effective way of doing that is. So as scary as it is to commit to a, this is what I believe the company is thinking today, you've gotta really get clear on that for yourself. Because that's what enables you to be able to make a decision of, based on where we are today, based on what we're seeing and learning from our customers, where are we gonna try to go? Why do we need to try to get there? Which once that's clear, you've got your point A and your point B mapped out, your job then becomes really clear and really simple, which is, how do you tell the story? How do you help them see that where you are today to where you're trying to go matters? How does the insights that you've uncovered through your last five customer calls or through the latest analysis you did of product utilization, how does any of that matter? You can't do that effectively until you get really clear on all of these things. And sometimes this'll come from research reports. This might come from, uh, this might come in the form of you telling your story via a presentation. It might also come in having to go work across your company to kind of build a coalition of support. Sometimes it's not going to be sufficient for you to be able to just go directly to a senior leader in the company and say, hey, I really think we've got to make this change. You may have to work laterally a little bit with peer organizations to be able to create that support to enable you to actually do that. Uh, and the other thing, too, to be candid that I found a lot of success in periodically is a little bit of a skunkworks project, a little bit of a small investment that nobody's really paying attention to that... You can spend a a limited amount of cycles without compromising anything that you're really dedicated on and and really be able to provide some some early stage proof points around uh, what that might be. But these are all different ways though of accomplishing the same thing, which is telling the story in a way that will really help your senior leadership team connect the dots between what you're observing boots on the ground with your customers, where you think you need to make a change, and why that change is going to matter. So I'm going to pause here for just a couple of seconds before uh, you know, I kind of keep going here with some additional thoughts and just open it up for some questions. Uh, for the video recording, I'll just go ahead and repeat any questions since we don't have a mic floating around, but I'd love to just get some initial thoughts, reactions, or questions uh, around everything up to this point. What do you do in a large organization where the organization feels they've arrived at point B, but maybe point B for them is just revenue? Is that right? Well, so at the end of the day, revenue is going to matter, especially in large organizations that are publicly traded. Uh, so you can't like, discount that elephant in the room, but you can leverage it to your advantage. Uh, the desire, especially in tech companies, if you're a publicly traded tech company and a SaaS company specifically, the benchmark is that you're growing you know, 130% year over year. So if you can come to a senior leader and say, hey, here's an observation from our customers, here's how it fits into the broader ecosystem, here's how it's gonna help us generate additional revenue, you've got their error instantly. But for you, what you get to get clear on is what is, the, what is their point A relative to how are they thinking about increasing revenue over the next quarter, the next year, whatever it might be. So I'd actually say that I think what you're describing is their point B of revenue. I would shift that back to that's the point A, get really clear on that diagnosis around what that looks like. That helps you connect the dots moving forward. So how do you, how do you overcome the inertia of 18 months of backlog? Well, the cheeky answer that you may have heard up Front is just delete all of it, <laughs> which I fully subscribe to, by the way. Uh, we can have a conversation about that at a different time, but putting the cheeky answer aside, uh, it, it becomes the story. What is the story that matters around why this observation that you have is actually more influential and powerful relative to the goals of your organization and the strategy than the 18 months worth of backlog. And that's hard work. Like I, there's no simple answer there, but if you truly have a fantastic customer insight that's validated through all of these things that I've talked about and really package it up, they're gonna hear it every time. Like I've done this in a large, you know, 5,000-plus organization uh, on topics not related to revenue, but have the same kind of inertial dynamics of here's where we're planning on going, and you can totally do it. You just got to get creative. I had one moment where uh, it, the the customer journey that we had going on was we had these customers that were going through like 25 really disjointed learning experiences simultaneously, and the moment that we just packaged that up and said like, hey Here's what's going on and here's why it's counteracting our key strategy. Like the senior leader just hit the ceiling and just couldn't believe that we had made these little incremental bets and never really taken the time to like simplify everything. And it was like instant course correction change. So I, it, it can totally happen. It's just, you gotta get the story really powerful. Yeah, so the question I think is primarily focused on, so great Dave, this has been talking about how to go kind of up to senior leaders. What do you do when it's horizontal? So for me, it's been roughly the same model. But rather than trying to figure out where your company's trying to go, you're trying to figure out where's customer success trying to go, where's your support work trying to go, where's marketing trying to go. It's the same process, but your layer of view kind of changes depending on the organization, uh, which means you'll need different tools. Like, you you can't go look at Crunchbase to figure out where your marketing team's going, but but you can go through a discovery process to try to make a good guess. And even if you're wrong, when you show up saying like, hey, my, my understanding is as a marketing organization, like you're trying to get this direction, and you're trying to move in these types of ways, I believe that this area over here is actually gonna support you and the company and what we're trying to do here. Can we have a conversation? And it's like all ears, 100% of the time. Yeah. What layers could be present that don't work? Uh, Like honestly, what is a backlog? Like I I don't wanna get on that soapbox for too long, but like uh, anytime a conversation revolves around that, like you're probably toast. So I would just steer clear from that. Other layers that I found to not be super useful. um, This is gonna sound dumb, but like business cases, I found to not be super useful in actually influencing things here. Um, I I haven't thought about your specific question, which is why I'm thinking, it's super good. Trying to think about all the times where I tried this and it failed and what I used. Uh, another one that comes to mind is, uh, in, like, if if your layer of analysis hasn't really moved from like individual customer observation or anecdote into like real synthesized data, it gets real hard to be able to tell that story powerfully because you kind of end up being flat-footed on like, hey, this one customer said, it's really easy for the store to get derailed, where what you can really do is talk about, hey, like here's an example of one customer to make, make it real, but here's what we've done to validate that this is actually a much broader trend that's really stable across everybody that we care about. So I would say those are probably the three biggest ones for me. Are there parts here that you want me to go into a little bit more detail? Like my intention was to kind of run through the kind of entirety of how I think about this, uh, product organizations typically have some kind of friction with sales and marketing. How are you, how are you turning that friction that could occur into something that becomes really value-add? Leveraging sales and marketing specifically is part of this. Got it. Okay. My perspective on this is as product people, we have a huge tendency to discount. Uh, when a salesperson comes over and says, like, hey, like this customer really wants this thing, we're like, okay, cool. Like, We're so glad that one customer did, but you're just telling that, uh, telling that to us because you're just trying to close a deal. Has anybody ever had that thought? I've had it like a 100 times, I'll, I'll totally own that. But where I've had to really shift my mentality is to be able to spend the energy in asking a couple of more questions to that sales rep to see if there's actually an underlying issue that this is really speaking to. And then all of a sudden what you're getting is you're getting the earliest signals from product market fit challenges. So if you only look at the data that occurs when users use your product, you're only getting a small picture of the overall data about whether or not your product is performing in the market. Your sales team and your marketing team is gonna be the best point of truth and best source of truth, pardon me, relative to like, the types of needs that your product's not serving. Now, maybe, maybe you're not going to invest in those types of capabilities. I've had all kinds of crazy, wacky requests from sales and marketing for functionality. It's just like, yeah, cool. We're, we're never gonna do that, ever. You know, I don't say it like that because that's not that's not really powerful, but, but you've got to be smart and you gotta filter that. I'm not advocating like, hey, if a salesperson says it, boom, that's where their market is trying to go, and you just gotta go build that stinker now and you'll be in great shape. I got I don't wanna make any any uh, any unclarity there. But that that's what I would do is you've got to really double click and ask the questions that help you understand the key context. And then from there, if turning around and leveraging, hey, you know, salesperson A, can you get me on the phone with that person so we can have a deeper conversation? And what happens there is the sales team actually feels like you listen and care, and all of a sudden they turn into your best advocates. They turn into a sales team, it's like, hey, look, yeah, cool, the product's gonna make improvements over the next year, but we've got an amazing product that we can sell today, so we don't worry about about where the product team's going because we know that they listen to us. Okay, so a time where I kind of ran through this model and it bombed, yeah, so I had this time where it it was like this moment. I, I should just like leave this on loop because this has been a lot of moments here. I lived in this mode for like a year. Uh, well, a year's probably too long. It was probably like eight months with PerlSight for a moment. We, uh, there's some of the PerlSight teams here, so I don't, don't, maybe don't take this back to the office, I don't know. Um, yeah, we're recorded, so I'm screwed anyway. All right. Uh, 2019's the new dirt, air your dirty laundry, I guess. That's the theme here. So we, we have a couple of experiences that candidly are pretty overlapping. And uh, it's caused a lot of friction for our customers, and I was leading one of those experiences. And I, for six or seven months, was working really hard to get my senior leadership team to understand, like, hey, like there is a fundamental and foundational issue with how we are thinking about these key issues, or these key experiences, and we continue to just make these small iterative bets and never invest in the time to like really go design the right experience. And like it was like, hey, Gil, we got to make an investment here, and he's like. No, and I was like, "Hey, Gil, we got to make an investment." He's like, "No, Dave." And then, like, honestly, it took five or six times. What I found was uh, I was running through the same process, but each time I tried, I got a better understanding of like what they cared about, which helped me refine what that story was. And like, it wasn't like a "Hey, Gil, Hey, Gil." Like, I wasn't like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Like, knock, 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 knock. Like, you had to kind of spread it out over time and like really give it space to breathe. But I kept coming back to it because I felt it was super critical. And eventually uh, you know, we got real, real serious buy-in around how we wanted to go tackle that. Uh, truth be told, it's still an issue, but like there's been the final that like, I've moved them to point B uh, and, and created success on that point. So yeah, you're not gonna win every time, but I find that like the app bats, I'd probably look at it like candidly, like if you're batting five, six hundred on this, like you're you're like, you're totally crushing this. Like that's probably what the success rate is that you should be targeting question was primarily like, when do you know that after all of these efforts that you've made, like it's just time to maybe move to a different company, move to a different job, move to a different department? Uh, So for me, I'm going to blame Wade and Nate Walkingshaw for actually having an answer here. So my first front conference three or four years ago, uh, I met Nate, and I was talking with him, and he said, Dave, do you believe in your product? And I was like, yeah, totally, like this, like what we work on is amazing. And it's creating a huge impact, it's super valuable, like we've got lots of traction. And then I had to drive from Salt Lake down to Provo to get back home. And on that like hour and a half drive of traffic, I went crap, I don't believe in my product. (laughs) (laughs) And then I joined Mm Site. So like for me, uh, like candidly, I think it comes down to like, do you still believe in your product? Or are you at a point where you no longer believe in it? That, for me at least, is the indication that it's probably time to make a change. Okay, well, thank you everybody.
0: A big thanks to Dave Rackham for presenting, and again to Jane for hosting the event. If you learned some things from Dave's talk, be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.